0: I hope you all had a good Saturday yesterday. I had, a, I had an excellent one. I, I watched a little bit of the Mississippi State game, and we got the win, which is always a good thing if you're a Mississippi State fan, although this year we're 5-1 right now, absolutely dominating, not quite because we have that one loss, but doing very well. So I celebrated the win yesterday by taking a nice fat nap yesterday, uh, but the problem was I didn't decide to take the nap until 4 p.m., and I didn't set an alarm at 4 p.m. for to wake up at a certain time, so my fat nap ended at 7 p.m. Have you done this before? You just take it's an ill-timed nap. Nothing wrong with the nap except for when you started and when you ended. So 7 p.m. I wake up, I feel amazing, and I feel like I won't need sleep for like another 12 hours, which wasn't far from the truth. So I, I keep going about my evening feeling great, and around midnight I think I am not tired at all. Now, I know I've got to get up and preach today. Like I probably should be trying to go to sleep, but instead I make a deeper choice of wisdom. And I, someone, had, someone had left a large uh, container of cheese puffs at our house, most of the way filled up. And so I took that and put it beside myself and I opened up my computer and pulled up YouTube. And from about midnight until sometime after one, I just spent some time with YouTube and the cheese puffs. Now here's the problem with cheese puffs you can just keep eating them. You've been, you lived this life before, right? Like I, I didn't realize what I was doing. I just had a container. It wasn't entirely full, but mostly full. And I would just dump literally, this, this will tell you my life. I just would dump them out on the table in front of me, just a little bit at a time and just eat the cheese puffs. And then they weren't filling me up. I wasn't, I wasn't getting tired of them. So I just dump out some more, you know, keep pulling up the next movie trailer. And I just keep kind of going and going and going until I finally look over sometime around 1 a.m. and the cheese puffs are almost gone. No, I'm I'm talking like a full-size container of them. And so I was like, huh, I wonder how many cheese puffs I've eaten. So i go and look at it, and it says one serving of cheese puffs is 48 cheese puffs. This is, if you're taking notes today, write this down. One serving of cheese puffs is 48 cheese puffs, and there are 17 servings in the cheese puff (laughs) container. And to be fair, I didn't eat the whole container. There was a little bit eaten when I started, and today there's still about 15 uh, cheese puffs left in the bottom of it. And so I had most of that container. We're talking six, 700 cheese puffs last night. How many calories is that? Somewhere between 1,700 and 2,000 calories of cheese puffs. I'm ready to go this morning is what I'm trying to say. And so I'm eating that. And like, look, look, if you've been here before, like, they don't fill you up. You just keep eating. I I didn't get to the end of them and think, wow, I'm very satisfied. What I thought is I could eat a whole nother one. I could just keep going. You ever been there before? You just do something, you keep doing more and more, and it it doesn't change how you're feeling. You never hit satisfaction. You just hit like, let's hit the next gear of cheese puffs. Uh, There's this level last night. The reason I sat down is I was just feeling, I wasn't able to sleep. I was just feeling kind of discontent, and I was thinking cheese puffs would help me feel more content. Uh, Just plot twist here, they don't. They don't help you feel more content. Many times in life, we do the same thing, right? You're feeling discontent about life. Anybody ever been there before? Feeling discontent about your relationships, your job, your friends, um, not having enough friends, having too many friends, not having friends who'll leave you alone, not having friends who'll check on you. Whatever it is, you're feeling discontent. Maybe emotionally you're feeling discontent, whatever's going on, and you're in this discontented place and you try to go to things to help. You feel less discontent and it doesn't help. You're still in that place of being discontent. That's where I was last night. Cheese puffs did not help. Many times in life, we try to fill it with other things. I wanna talk today, though, about why I think discontent is actually a blessing. You're thinking, well, tell me more, because I am blessed today if that's the case. I wanna tell you why discontent is a blessing. Discontent is an invitation to deeper godliness, The discontent you experience in your life is actually an opportunity to go deeper with God, go deeper into what he has for you. I wanna show you what I mean. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Timothy. This is in the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter six is where we'll be today. This is a letter written by the apostle Paul, one of the early Christian leaders, to a protege of his, someone he was raising up in leadership, named Timothy. At this time, Timothy was serving in Ephesus. Ephesus is in modern day Turkey. And It was a significant city at that time, and it was a significant Christian church as well. Timothy was a young man who was helping provide leadership for this church. The whole book of 1 Timothy is Paul's instructions to this young church leader, but in particular in what we're going to read, he addresses false teachers who are in the church. I mean, how do how false teachers connect with discontent in my life? We're going to get there. This is what God's word says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at the end of verse 2. Paul writes, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound or healthy words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, that one who's teaching what's wrong, he is puffed up with conceit. How ironic. Cheese puffs last night, puffed up today. Like, don't be puffed up on cheese puffs or on heresy. He's puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction. Among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, Paul is at his writing best. He drops some awesome lyrics when he's writing about people who are teaching false things, believing false things. He says, if the people who are believing, who are following the false teachers are depraved in their minds, they're deprived of the truth, and then this is what he says, they imagine that godliness is a means of gain, that by being godly or doing these godly things, we can accumulate more. Now, he's talking specifically here about money, about finances, This was a heresy, a false teaching that was being spread around. Among other things that the false teachers were communicating was that if you do godly things, you're going to get more money. That false teaching has not gone away. It's amazingly prevalent in our world today, especially around the world, but even here in the U.S., it's a false teaching called the prosperity gospel. It teaches that. Jesus has died. And because he's died and rose from the dead, if we follow him, we will get stuff from him. He'll bless us with more. You might've seen, and it's, it's almost like a meme at this point about some of the televangelists, you know, put your money in, put your seed money in, and God's going to bless you with so much more. Like, have you ever, have you ever like stopped and wondered, like looked at the followers and wondered why the same followers keep coming back to put more money in? It's like, because they're not getting what they want. Like, put more money in, you're gonna get a car out of it. Just ask if it's the desire of your heart. God's gonna give it to you. The problem with this approach is not that God doesn't wanna, God wants to bless us. But it's thinking that we can go in and put some money in or put some faith in and God's gonna give us exactly what we want. It turns God into a vending machine or maybe worse, turns God into a sugar daddy. God's just waiting to give me what I want. If I come and give him what he wants, he'll give me what I want. It's all gonna be good. That's a transactional view of God that if I put something in, God's gonna give me out what I want of it. This is wrong. It's heresy. It's false teaching. The challenge is, I think many of us do this with God, maybe not with money. Maybe you're like, I would never ask God for a Mercedes. I might ask him for a brand new Toyota, but not a Mercedes. I'm too spiritual for that. But, but you, we do it in subtle ways. Like, let, let, me, let me explain what I mean. I think many of us go to God and we wanna make A transaction with him, God, I'm going to come and read your word every day. I want you to help me out with my mental health. And if you don't, I'm going to blame you. Now, does God want to help you through mental health? Yes. Like that's the thing about all this is I believe God wants to bless us financially, but it's not a transaction. It's not you come in and give God. It's that you just trust God, whatever he brings, you're going to follow him. You're going to trust him, whatever he brings into your life. Many of us have the perspective that this wide receiver named Stevie Johnson had. I don't know if you guys remember Stevie Johnson played for the Buffalo Bills. Anybody here follow? I know no one here follows football because every time I bring football up, y'all stare at me blankly. So let me just share a story of what other people enjoy. Sometimes this game called football. And uh, back in 2010 or 2011 or so there was a playoff game. It was a significant game between the Buffalo Bills and I think the Cincinnati Bengals. At the time, Ryan Fitzpatrick was quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, and he takes the snap at about the 50-yard line. He goes back. It's in overtime right now. Whoever wins this game, whoever, whoever scores next wins the game. So he drops back. Stevie Johnson's the wide receiver, the, the guy who's gonna catch the ball, and he's, he takes off, jukes his defender, gets a lead. He gets about a seven or eight-foot lead on the defender. He's wide open. And when he's at about the 20-yard line, Ryan Fitzpatrick throws the ball all the way to the end zone. It's in the air about 2.7 seconds. I don't know why I know that, but I, I've read the article that said it was 2.7 seconds. And it comes down, and Stevie Johnson catches it. Game-winning touchdown. His teammates go wild on the sideline, start running to him in the end zone to celebrate. And he dropped it before he had full control. That was the game right there. They, they lost. The Bills ended up losing So, being a very calm, rational being like all of us, Stevie Johnson decides to tweet about this a couple hours later. This is what he tweeted. Uh, This is addressed to God, by the way. It's important context to have. He says, I praise you 24 7, and this is how you do me? That's hilarious. Like, first of all, just the number of exclamation marks. This is how most of us feel internally. We never are bold enough to actually communicate this way. He says, You expect me to learn from this? How? I'll never forget this ever. Thanks, though. I love that. I didn't know you could be sarcastic with God. I didn't know you could tweet to God. This opens up whole possibilities of communicating to God. Stevie was so frustrated because he's like, God, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to honor you. And then this one chance I have, right, to win this game for the Bills, we lose. I drop the ball. Many of us have this perspective. God, I've put in what I need to put in. I put in my part. When are you gonna do your part? We end up at this place where we have turned godliness into a means of gain. I was talking with a pastor this week, and he was talking about uh, Gen Z and millennials. He said to me, he said, your generation goes to God's Word. He said, I know many who will be in God's Word every day, who will read it every day. But so many of you go in to be inspired and encouraged not to submit your life to what God has said and obey it. So I think many of us, even in just how we read God's word, we're like, I need to, I need to get my devos in today to get encouraged. Like, I hope you're encouraged by reading God's word, but I hope more than that, you're challenged and you obey what the Spirit's saying through the word. Like, too many of us come with a prosperity gospel mindset. And, and here's what we need to know about discontent. Discontent starts at the place where we don't have the right kind of relationship with God. Now, it extends beyond that. We're talking about, and Paul even talks about how it goes beyond that. But if we're not in a right relationship to God, pursuing God for God and not God for something we can get through him, then we will quickly end up in this place of discontent. Why? Well, Paul explains next. The next verse, verse six. Paul says, now there is great gain in godliness. Now, he had just said there's, he said you can't use godliness to gain, to get gain. But now he's turning around and saying, there's great gain in godliness with contentment. So there's great gain. There's amazing things that God has in store if we have godliness, but we are content with what we have. This word contentment, it's a good translation. It's just used twice in the Bible. Once it's translated sufficiency, once it's translated contentment. But the Greek word is autarkeia, It's a word used by philosophers back at this time especially Stoic philosophers. Stoics believed among other things that you didn't need to depend on the outside world for your happiness or your satisfaction. You should look inwards and be kind of this self-sufficiency, look inside and find contentment there. So Paul's taking this idea, he's taking this word, but he's adding something to it. Paul's not teaching that inside of yourself, on your own, there's contentment. Paul is teaching that when we join our lives with God and we are contented with that relationship, then there's great gain. So he's saying this word self-sufficiency, contentment, that's going to come through relationship with God. The other place this word is used in the Bible is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse eight. And Paul says that God's grace abounds to give us sufficiency in our lives so we can do good works, so we can serve others. And so sufficiency comes not from looking inside and being like, wow, I'm great, I'm so happy with hell amazing I am today, right? You may not get to that point because we all have the ups and downs, but it's looking at your relationship with God and his grace he gives to your life and saying, I'm content with me and God. I'm content with who he is in my life. I'm content with knowing him. The challenge of this is so often we want to look to external sources of validation in our lives. How many times have you found yourself enjoying an experience and thinking, I can't wait to tell somebody about this? I do this with memes all the time. I just can't enjoy a good meme on my own. I've got to share it. Like if I see a meme, my thought is not like, wow, that's funny, I like that. It's like, I need to share that with my meme chat, and everyone's going to think that's hilarious, right? I think people are going to love that meme. I'm thinking about sharing it with others. So often when we have experiences, we're thinking about taking a picture of it and sharing it rather than just enjoying it. I saw a picture comparison a few years ago. This was back in 2013 bottom picture is when the current pope, Pope Francis, was announced. Top picture is when John Paul II, who was two popes prior to the current one, when his funeral took place. Look at the difference in how people are present there. In the top one, there's like one dude taking a picture on his flip phone. I'm not convinced he's taking a picture. I think he's playing a game. I think he's playing snake or something on his phone right now because he's bored at this thing. And look at the bottom one here. Just eight years later, the difference since then is social media has exploded. We now have smartphones. And look at the picture here. There's like three people actually just being present in the moment, enjoying it. Everybody else is like, I got to share this with all my Catholic friends. Like I'm here when the Pope is getting set up. This is a big deal. This is some major Catholic social media clout if I can share this picture. And so they're all taking pictures of it, instead of just being there and enjoying the moment. This is often how we approach our lives, is that we're not content to just be sufficient, be enough, be self-sufficient in our relationship with God. Paul's trying to ground us in a deep truth here. And that is that our relationship with God is the center, is the grounding for the rest of our lives. We shouldn't be looking externally. We should be looking internally, not to ourselves and our own goodness, but to God and his goodness that he's brought into our lives. So your time with the Lord, your devotional time, your relationship with God is the center, is at the center point of who you are. Now, why is this so hard to do? Let's keep reading here. Verse seven, Paul says, "'We brought nothing into this world. "'We cannot take anything out of this world. "'But if we have food and clothing with these, "'we will be content.'" Paul's trying to reinforce for his his original here, Timothy, and then for us as well, that there's nothing we brought into this world, there's nothing we can take out. In other words, who we are and who we are in our relationship with God is far more important than external things. What discontent wants to do in your life is discontent wants to turn your life inside out. There's sufficiency, there's contentment in your relationship with God and just who he is and who you are in that relationship. But what discontent does is makes you stop focusing on that and start focusing on the outside world and what it has to offer, how it might be better than what you have and how you need that more than you need this. Discontent turns you outwards. It does this, first of all, by comparison. Comparison is sneaky because once we start looking out and comparing, we quickly become discontent with where we are. I mean, how many of us know you could have the same amount of money and if everybody else around you just had half as much, you'd be pretty content with how much money you have. If you'd be pretty content with how you looked, if you're not crazy about how you look, or you feel like, like if everyone else was just half as good looking as you, you'd feel a lot better about how you looked. So much of this is, it comes from comparison or discontent comes from comparison. In my life, the biggest source, the biggest area of discontent is dumb. Can I be honest with you? Like just upfront, it's dumb. The truth is most of the discontent in our life is dumb, but mine is real dumb because it's spiritual. I'm discontented about something that should be spiritual. Now, to be, to be honest, I've had to sacrifice this to the Lord, surrender this to the Lord, but it, it, it will come up again. And here's, here's where the discontent in my life comes from. When I look around at other pastors close to my age and I see their success relative to mine. I look around at pastors, and I'm like, man, they, they've got like a thousand people coming to their church, what's my problem? I get, start, start comparing, I get discontent by that comparison. I start thinking, man, what's, what's my issue? And instead of going back to God and being like, no, God is the one who approves. God is the one where I'm grounded. God is the one where I'm centered. I start looking around and letting that influence me. I've got to catch myself. Because here's the thing about discontent. Discontent is an invitation to deeper godliness. When I experience that discontent, what God's saying is, hey, there's something about you that needs changed. Come to me. Let's work on it. Let's go deeper together. And instead of getting frustrated or feeling like I'm not enough or feeling like I'm just discontent about everything, I need to turn back to God. I remember talking to a friend uh, a while back, a long time ago, and he went to a concert with his wife. And at the concert, uh, the guy who was up front talked about how his wife was the most beautiful woman in the world. And my friend, I remember confiding in me, saying, That was really tough to hear, he said, because I know, this is just being honest, that my wife is not the most beautiful woman in the world. And I said, Yeah, that's because I'm going to marry the most beautiful woman in the world. So, you can't, you know, that can't be your wife. And he was, he was wrestling, like, legitimately, I know it sounds dumb, but this is the kind of di- thing discontent does to us, right? He's wrestling with it, of like, but I don't, I don't, like. He, so he went from having, like, you know, what should have been a great evening and perfect day and perfect night and everything else, just like, life's good and great relationship, to suddenly being like, well, like, if I'm not able to, like, if I don't feel like I should say that about my wife, what? and he starts comparing it, and then suddenly this discontent, deeper discontent creeps in. Comparison's destructive. And Paul here is trying to focus us in on, there's nothing external to your life that you're gonna carry with you out of this life. There's nothing external to your life that you brought into this life. What matters? You and your relationship with God. That's where the, so when you face discontent, discontent is an invitation to deeper godliness. It's an invitation to go deeper. This comparison thing's tricky because here Paul's talking about money. The truth is, if you're a middle class American, you would be very rich by the standards of this time. You'd be very rich. So, like, if you're middle class at all, if you've, got a, if you've got a decent income at this point, like, you fit into the category of very rich, they would look at you, and people back then would be striving to be you. And here you are looking around at what you have or what you don't have, and you're feeling discontent about it because you're comparing. You're comparing. And here's the challenge discontent is an invitation. To deeper godliness. I was working out this week. I just joined a new gym. I don't know if you guys do this when you go to the gym, but I'm a competitive guy. So joining a new gym, I got to figure out where I fit on the totem pole, so to speak, the pecking order, so to speak. Like who, who am I stronger than and who's stronger than me? Who's the competition in other words? And I'm still figuring this out, but I went into bench on uh, Monday and there was a guy in there who was clearly the competition. Big old dude, couple inches taller than me, just broad dude. He's been working out for a while, probably played football. And I thought, that guy is the competition. And he was doing bench press on the same day. And I'm like, okay, well, here we go. A little head-to-head action. He's oblivious to me, you know? And I'm like, all right, it's on. Like right now, this is like the world championship for bench pressing in this gym right now. And so he's over there benching. And I'm like, hey, do you need me to, you need to give you a spot? You know, get, kind of get to play a little mind games here. And so I go over to start giving him a spot and he puts a certain amount of weight on and I spot him and he can't get it up. And I'm like, well, so it really was, I, I, I'm honest here, I, I just happened to have the same amount, I am put the same amount on my bar after that. Like that's just what my plan already was for my workout that day. So I put the exact same amount on the bar and I unrack it. And I go down, he's spotting me. I just want to make sure he's here to see this. And I go down and I push it up once and I push it up twice and boom, I'm good. And we just suddenly knew in that moment, at least I knew, he probably didn't care. Who was stronger? Who the top dog is? Yeah, he might've been more muscular and taller and better looking and whatever else, but like, come on, I could bench press more than he could. I got a weird sense of satisfaction out of that comparison. How dumb is that? Really dumb. Because next time I go in, tomorrow when I go into bench press, there'll be a stronger guy than me there. And then my workout will just feel a little disappointing because I'm not the strongest guy anymore. When we start comparing, we start looking external. When discontent turns our life from internal to external, it turns our life inside out, we end up at this place of discontent. What Paul's saying to us here is that God is the center Godliness is the goal. Your relationship with God is what matters. The externals flow from that. So what happens if you're discontent and you have an actual desire for your life to be different? Like it's not wrong if, if you don't have enough money to desire more money to try to get a better job. It's not wrong if you're in this place of singleness right now and you want to get married to pursue marriage. It's not wrong if you are in a marriage right now and you're discontent. It's not wrong to improve that marriage with your current spouse and not upgrade to a different model. It's okay to keep working and desiring on something you have in front of you. But how do we know the difference? The difference is, are you desiring something because you believe that external thing will change your contentment level? Or are you out of a relationship with God pursuing something out of that contentment already? So are you relying on the external thing to provide contentment? Or are you pursuing the thing from a place of contentment already? This is why, I've said it already, discontent is an invitation to deeper godliness because the external is never the answer to discontent. Your internal relationship with God is the answer. What happens if we don't lean into godliness, if we don't pursue godliness, and instead we pursue the discontent that's present in our lives? This is what the Bible says in verse 9. But those who desire to be rich, in other words, those who are looking at the externals, who are discontent with where they're at and looking to the external reality to change that, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, they fall into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and they have pierced themselves with many pangs. If we follow the discontent and we look externally for the solution, we will end up in destruction. We'll destroy our lives we'll destroy our satisfaction, we'll destroy people around us in the pursuit of more. I've seen this happen so many times in my life and others' lives, I think to people who are married. How many people have destroyed their good marriage simply because they were discontented in the moment? How many people have pursued something outside, pursued someone else and destroyed their marriage, destroyed their future, destroyed their kids' lives simply because they were discontent? And instead of going to God and recognizing this discontentment is probably more about me than it is about my spouse, they decide to end things, pursue someone else, and destroy. How many times single people, have we done this, or we've seen friends do this, we desire to get married, we're discontent with our singleness, so we make decisions that don't honor God. We pursue a relationship that doesn't honor God. We, we uh, pursue the wrong kind of person, and we end up wrecking our lives or harming our lives or harming our relationship with God through that pursuit. How many times financially, in order to get ahead, do we cut corners, compromise? How many times do we end up destroying ourselves and what God has blessed us to steward simply because we are discontent? And instead of going to God and working on our relationship with him, gaining satisfaction and contentment there, we're so focused on the external, we destroy our lives. Many of us are guilty of that. Many of us do that. Many of us might even be in that place right now, of pursuing the external. And what Paul says is this can both destroy your faith, can also bring you to destruction, but he says it also pierces you through with many pains, with many pains. You are, you're hurting because of this. So it may not, you may not wander from the faith, although Paul says many people have through discontent. But even if you don't wander from the faith, you can create pain and ongoing challenge for yourself that far outweighs the discontent. So when we face discontent, what are our options? We can pursue it and it ends up in destruction, ends up in unhealthiness, ends up in pain for us and pain for others. It might even lead you away from God and you lose your relationship with him. Or discontent can be an invitation to deeper godliness. I know in my own life, I've had to really work to not stay in a place of discontent, but to continually go back to God say, God, I want your priorities. I want your way of viewing this. I want your heart here. I don't want my own perspective. My perspective is so limited. It's so focused right now. It's so focused on cheese puffs or on a bench workout or just like, I'm just so limited that I need God's perspective. I need his relationship, not so he can give me something, but so I can just know him so I can be content with him. So I can just experience the joy of being a son of God, of being someone who's favored by the Most High, of someone who is there with Him, someone who's submitted to God and obeying Him no matter the cost, someone who knows the joy of being fulfilled and serving and honoring Him before anything else, someone who knows the joy of suffering on His behalf, not because I'm seeking my own contentment, but because by seeking Him, He brings contentment into my life. That's the opportunity we have. When we face discontent in our lives, we have this opportunity to go to Him to go deeper in what he has for us, to trust his word more. I know I'm not preaching this in a vacuum. I know today that it's not like, oh, it's nice, discontentment. Yeah, I'm sure some people wrestle with that. Many people here right now, you are in that place. It's a relational discontent. It's a financial discontent. It's an emotional discontent right now. You are wrestling within yourself with some things. There's discontent that comes in many different ways. Maybe it's it's this. I've talked to a lot of people and they're, 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, who feel like this, my life's not turning out like I wanted it to. My life's not what I thought it would be. And there's a discontent because you're comparing your life, maybe not even to someone else's, you're comparing your life to your own idol of what your life could have been. And you need to, in this moment, give that up. Maybe you're thinking about your spouse right now who may be sitting next to you, and you're thinking, wow, I'm actually pretty discontent in this relationship. And instead of, you, instead of you trying to just fix them, you need to go to the Lord and you need to just trust him to change you. Trust his relationship with you to be the main relationship in your life. Whatever you're facing with discontent right now, the solution is not going to be external. It will never be external. It'll be internal. It'll be in your relationship with God. Discontent is an invitation to, invitation to deeper godliness. And here's my question for you today. Will you accept that invitation? And pursue deeper godliness, or you're going to keep pursuing discontent that leads to destruction. If there's one thing I can exhort you to, challenge you to, encourage you to today, it is pursue a deeper godliness, a deeper relationship with God. Let that be the center of your life, and God will take care of the rest. Godliness with contentment has great gain.